Welcome to Margins, where we have conversations with change agents. Today, it's my pleasure to have two of my friends here. We have Scott Van de Wostein of the city of Davenport. He's Davenport's Inclusion and Equity Administrator. And we also have Greg Aguilar with the Quad Cities Chamber of Commerce. Greg is their Director of Talent Attraction and Retention. We're going to be talking about diversity, inclusion, and equity in terms of its importance, the importance of having an understanding of it, or those concepts in organizations, in communities, and in the workforce. Thanks for joining us today, Scott and Greg. Um, We have so many different things that are good to talk about when it comes to issues of diversity, inclusion, equity, and all the things related to that. I I think it's really good for us to jump into a conversation on uh, the importance of understanding those concepts and how uh, important and how useful they can be to various types of organizations. Uh, Scott, you're with the city of Davenport. Greg, you're with the Quad Cities Chambers of Commerce. But Actually, those aren't the only places you all have worked. You all both have done so many different things in your careers. So I think that you can really bring perspectives from lots of different uh, places when it comes to these issues. Uh, First off, Greg, what do you really think people should think of when they're running an organization in terms of how they really place importance on diversity and inclusion? Every organization, every business, volunteer group, it depends on talent. And in order to be successful, you have to have the best talent and you have to have people that can contribute to a conversation or making your business or your nonprofit or whatever you're involved with better. Now, if you want to attract top talent, especially young talent right now, if it is not a diverse environment, if there are not if there's not a variety of people they're not young people are not interested in being a part of that dialogue or that conversation. Part of what's happened is just as a nation, we've seen diversity grow. We've seen rising numbers in various multicultural communities and as well as LGBTQ communities. And when more people are involved, products are better, ideas are more diverse, and new things come from that. And that's what the talent wants. They want to engage with others that look similar to them. They might have some ideas, but they also want the difference. They want to celebrate that. Scott, coming from the perspective particularly of um, a government, a a municipal government, which still a lot of people forget is an organization. Um, How might cities uh, throughout the Quad Cities and throughout the nation really look to embrace diversity? Why might it be important to them and why might diversity and inclusion be something that they need to prioritize? Well, I think it's very important. You know, our cities are essentially, they represent the demographics of our broader community. So I think it's very important that all local governments, state governments, even our federal government, match the increasing diversity within what we're seeing each and every year. Um, we want to be able to ha- have our own employees when they're out in our communities doing the service work that we do and providing the services we provide. We want them to be able to look like our communities as well that really embrace and enmesh ourselves within the broader uh, demographics of our community. So it is a, you know, not only within the city of Davenport, but within broader communities across the United States and our region, uh, it is a top focus because we are a nation that is getting much and much more diverse each and every year. And I think that's a great thing. And that needs to be really embraced. Yeah, I mean, it really feels like in the past, I mean, even though our numbers in the United States of America, we are becoming a a nation that um, is not as much 
focused on just a white majority, that the white majority is certainly part of almost, we could say, a cornucopia of, of various different races, ethnicities, and other types of backgrounds. But I think that there probably was a point in our history where people really felt like maybe they had to suppress parts of their identity. We always hear talk of intersectionality, the idea that, you know, you could be a woman, but you also could be part of the LGBT community, and you also could be part of the Muslim community and be part of the African-American community and so on, where many times in workplaces in particular, uh, people had to wake up in the morning and, and look in the mirror and know that they were all of those things, but they could only bring part of what they were to the workplace. And a lot of times that could be an impediment to them really feeling like they had an overall ownership of the workplace, of the community, because if you can't be your full self, can you feel full ownership of anything? How do y'all feel about that? Yeah, you've got a great point there, Chris, because I, my name is Gregorio Miguel Aguilar El Tercero, but I've had to cut my name to Greg. I'm Greg Aguilar. And I've had to change not only my name, but also in the way that I dress, I needed to fit in because right off the bat in the work environment, if you are not in the majority, if you if you stick out, that could be challenging on moving ahead in the organization or even just being accepted. If your name is too long or too complicated, those in the majority will change your name for you. And, and that really it bothered me because I felt that my identity had to be adjusted to whoever was running the show in my work environment. And fortunately, we've We've seen a rise in growth in, in people of color in the workforce, and we're starting to see some movement in, in leadership ranks, although I still think we're extremely behind on that front. But it made me realize that if I want to fit in and if I want to move ahead, I had to adjust to the majority that was leading. And it's not something that I realized until later on in life. And also when I was applying for work, when I just graduated from college, I was all excited to put a university on my resume. And I was excited that Gregorio Aguilar is out there and I wasn't getting any callbacks. But when I changed my name on my resume, I changed it to Greg, all of a sudden I'm getting calls back. And I, there's studies that have been done countless times on this issue, but it's a real issue. And it does have an effect on the identity of the individual in the workforce. Yeah, we as humans are all, we are very complex, each and every one of us, and we bring different talents and skills to the table and a different background, uh, different stories. And I think any time that uh, any part of us or any one of us is has to discount any one of those layers uh, that makes us who we are as an individual, I think we all lose in that conversation. Uh, I think uh, holistically we need to celebrate each and every person with everything they bring to the table and uh, get past the point of uh, recognizing or focusing on one or particular two aspects to define people. I mean, we're way too complex for that. I mean, particularly when, when you bring up the whole idea of complexity, uh, organizations want to be complex. They want to celebrate their complexity. If we're talking about a city government, if we're talking about uh, a, higher, a higher education institution, an economic development organization, whatever you want to think of, a lot of times they want to celebrate all the different things they can do, all the different things that the people within that organization can do. But then the simplicity kicks in 
when it comes to the people who actually make up that organization. A lot of times you hear people talk about this idea of fit, and that's one of the things that really stands in the way of diversifying workforces or really seeing people of different backgrounds move into the leadership pipeline within any type of organization is, well, are they really a good fit? Are they really going to fit in with what we're trying to do here? And that's really, to me, that comes across as basically doublespeak for people saying, well, wait a minute, we want to be simplistic when we're thinking about the people in this complex organization. So I really like the fact that you talked about people really needing to be able to offer up all of their complexity. And I think organizations can really benefit from recognizing that the same complexity that makes them strong entities as organizations might be able to make their workforce in terms of the individuals more uh, effective and make them stronger in that way. Especially when you talked about fit, one thing that came to mind is who creates that fit? Often it's the leaders, often it's uh, the decision makers in an organization. And when they look among the leadership of those organizations, I, I hope that they start asking themselves, is this representative of the community that I live in or the community that I want to work with? And often the answer is no. Often it's all very similar. So the fit is made for those who are making the decisions, but how are other people supposed to get in? As Scott mentioned, the complexity that exists also brings a lot of treasure along with it. New ideas, new perspective, new vision, but organizations will never hear it if the fit is being created by those that may not want that to really exist. Yeah, our, our neighborhoods... Our, our schools, our businesses, our, our broader community is so much stronger when you have the fa diverse fabric that makes up those schools and those neighborhoods. And uh, there's just so much to learn from each and every one of our neighbors. And, you know, I think it's, it, it, you, know, I, you know, I have to admit, you know, I grew up in a very, uh, I've had a very good upbringing and I feel very privileged for that. And so some of me, some of my work now is wanting to pay it forward and give back. So I want to, you know, encourage folks to have those complex conversations, get to know their neighbors uh, on a deeper uh, level, uh, ask those inner, in, inspiring questions about what can we do together? Because, you know, as the old saying goes, to, together everyone achieves more. So I think building that fabric uh, street by street, uh, neighborhood by neighborhood is so important. I mean, a lot of times when we think about neighborhoods, when we think about cities, organizations, whatever it's going to be, you know, th this idea of ownership comes up. Uh, sometimes when we're talking about neighborhoods and communities, we're talking about ownership on the most simplistic form. Do people own or do they rent? But in a more broad sense, this feeling of ownership that this is my college, this is my university, this is my corporation, this is my place of work, the place that puts bread on the table for my family – People who end up feeling marginalized on a regular basis, people who feel like they have to suppress major parts of what makes them them, a lot of times they end up having lower levels of satisfaction. When you do climate surveys, they really don't feel as connected. And ultimately, that translates into low levels of ownership. And when we talk about these organizations, when we talk about communities, they should really think about ownership as something important. Because when people have that sense of ownership, they're more likely to suggest 
the job, the community, the school, whatever it is, to the next person. They're more likely to support it in so many different ways. They're more likely to have those higher levels of satisfaction where then you can have more productivity. Has it been the experience from each of you that ownership is something that, that people really focus on? Is it something that's missed a lot of times when people are looking at their workforces or looking at the communities they serve? When it comes to ownership... <clears throat> There's an investment there. So the individual needs to feel invested in what they're taking ownership of. It is very challenging for people who come to a region or are growing up in a region, if they can't find something that they can connect with that makes them feel a part of something bigger, it's tougher for them to start getting buy-in or creating ownership. And part of the challenge that I see in communities where we will see some parts of the community or some organizations rise to the top and then everyone is funding them and giving them money and saying, wow, we like this shiny new idea that's coming along. But then there are those that may not be as broad, or maybe it's more focused on, we'll say a community of color. And you don't find the same ownership amongst those in the majority. And those that are directly involved with it may not even have the networks or connections to help grow what they need. And I think both sides are, are, are missing those that are connected and have ownership of a certain community and those that are not, that together it ends up helping the region or helps up build, grow a larger community. Because even though I may not be involved with this growing community, someone else is connected to that. And if that means they find a home and they find something that they can connect with, they're more likely to stay in our community. They're more likely to stay in their jobs. And I think that's a part that we're really missing is even though we may not be directly affected or connected to a growing community, we still as a region need to take ownership of it because someone else is going to be plugging in and that's going to help grow their satisfaction of life. Yeah, we, you know, I think everyone wants to feel valued and connected, like uh, Greg was saying. And we're seeing this within, uh, you know, kind of a city perspective. We got the kind of the urban core of our city that a lot of times does have an increase in rental properties and, you know, a lack of ownership. And then you've got the, the, the fast growth area, which is kind of the north part of town. So there seems to be this dichotomy that's being created. Uh, but at the same sense, there's an awareness uh, amongst a lot of people that our urban core is kind of where everything began. It was where the first individuals into our community habitated. And really, it's kind of the heart and soul of what makes a community a community. Uh, so there is a, a very new effort on kind of being focused on urban revitalization. And it's kind of a buzzword around a lot of communities these days, but it's really focusing um, less so on the, the, the fast growth areas, but really taking a step back and saying, okay, we can't forget about our urban neighborhoods, which are our core neighborhoods that built our city. And uh, what do they need? And how can we make them more connected? How can we make them feel like they've been, uh, they're, they are valued as uh, a cornerstone and as a kind of a foundation of our area? And it's having those conversations and building those neighborhood organizations and uh, groups to uh, kind of take it to the next level. Yeah, certainly. I mean, in hearing what you're saying, Scott, about cities in particular and focusing on certain neighborhoods, focusing on people really building that that sense of ownership, that sense of belonging in the city. A lot of times, I mean, that really started triggering into my head 
the idea of families, that you're talking about families that want to have a long-lasting relationship, a long-lasting feeling of ownership in a city. And, and it kind of brings me to the perspective where I come from in terms of higher education, that a lot of times at colleges and universities, there's lots of talk in strategic plans for the next 10 years, 20 years. And we see strategic plans used in regions. We see them for businesses, city governments. So that's not exclusive to higher education, but certainly within uh, those strategic plans for colleges and universities, a lot of times they're looking towards changing demographics. They're looking towards diversity of people really start talking about the work that would need to be done to make people feel welcome, to make families feel like they have a true sense of ownership in that college or university where when people say, well, these families who have experience a lot of times in, uh, co in college and university settings, that families of color in particular are not always first generation. You have plenty of people, particularly now, who are second and third generation, and they're looking to see diversity among the staff, administration, and particularly faculty, that then diversity becomes something that is a bit more onerous, something that is going to take some work, it's going to take some investment. And I think sometimes we see the same thing happen in other types of businesses or organizations with cities, with uh, regional economic development, whatever it's going to be, that it's easy for people to talk about the importance of diversity, the importance of everybody feeling an ownership stake in whatever the endeavor is. But then when people start to talk about what type of investment of time, money, effort to really overcome generations of marginalization and exclusion are going to come in, then you start to see a lot of times leadership will really step back. I mean, between the experiences that you all have had, have either of you seen what I'm seeing or am I kind of out on an island on my own with that one? I understand exactly where you're going with that. And I agree. Uh, over the past decade, I've had various experiences with diversity and inclusion from financial institutions, higher ed, nonprofits, business community. And I've, what I have found are the organizations whose leadership commits to diversity, inclusion, and equity and share that message with the rest of their organizations also put money behind the efforts by hiring people, by training people, by actually putting in financial resources to empower one, at least one person to drive it are the ones that are most successful. What often happens is everyone talks about it, but no one acts on it. Everyone thinks it's important and everyone says it's important, but no one is empowered to drive these efforts. And so if you really want to be successful with diversity, inclusion, and equity, the leadership has to be on board 100%. There has to be resources to make it happen, and you'll need a champion to drive those. Otherwise, it just falls apart and it just becomes a great idea instead of being a part of what and who the organization is. There also needs to be accountability. Like you said, if, if everyone thinks that somebody else is taking care of the issue and, it, oh, it's somebody else's, uh, somebody else's championing the, champion the cause, uh, then they feel like, okay, our work here is done. Um, so sometimes the path of least resistance is kind of what maybe sometimes what we're trained to think or the path that we're trained to take is the one of least resistance when that's not the right path. And that's the start. And you're absolutely right, Scott, where the start is let's take the path of least resistance. But also, we cannot depend anymore on having one person only being the only person accountable to creating a more equitable and diverse and engaging community or an environment. Because history has shown us that there are many people that have 
been fortunate enough to ignore race or race issues or gender issues because they didn't have to deal with it. And that has created a culture. And so we also have to fight in our in our organizations to encourage others to do their part as well, because I think a lot of people are missing seeing the value of what comes by diversifying relationships, networks, people you do business with, especially organizations that are driven by uh, customers or members. After a while, I mean, we're seeing it with the birth rate in our nation, where we're seeing more, a rise in people of color being born. And if everything is set up to only focus on what you've always focused on, that pool is shrinking. And so this is a lot more people's responsibility. I just, you know, as my example was, this is what I've seen as a successful start. But moving forward, you know, we're in 2017, it has to be more people's responsibility as well. I mean, yeah, particularly when we start to look at that leadership pipeline, that it's just not enough to look to say, well, okay, what are our numbers looking like? Well, all right, if we're starting to diversify, and we want to take a look and do an audit of an organization and say, well, oh, well, now we have an increase in members of the LGBT community in our workforce. We have an increase of Muslim Americans in our workforce or whatever group we want to think of. Well, are they all entry level? Are they middle management? Are they in leadership? Are the people who maybe are new to the organization, do they have the potential or the feeling that they can move into leadership? Uh, because is it that the diversity within the organization is on the rise with a lot of potential, or is it something that's just window dressing? Uh, when you all were talking, it really came to mind something that, that used to be taught to me, and I think it's something that kind of has swirled around communities of color for years, this whole idea of last fire, last hired, first fired. Sorry about that. And I, I think about that when it comes to the idea of diversity. When you talk about diversity, inclusion, and, e and equity issues in an, in a workplace, we end up seeing that a lot of times that's the last thing that's put on a lot of people's list. Scott was talking about this idea of you need everybody on board. Well, everybody who's doing those things, a lot of times they see diversity and inclusion as the last thing on their list. So they're like, well, hey, if I get nine out of 10, I'm good. So I can drop number 10. And I, I really think that in thinking through the importance of understanding diversity, inclusion, and equity, it really opens the door to thinking more about what types of tactics uh, would be needed to really make these things effective. And we've had such a great conversation uh, here. Now, I just want to know, would you all be willing to come back another time so we could really dive into what are some of the tactics, some of the strategies? Because I don't know if we could do it as good of a service, just kind of adding it on the end here. Would you all be willing to come back? Count me in. Absolutely. This is a topic that's extremely important because it is affecting our businesses, our schools, our government. It is affecting everything in our region. So, yes, I, I definitely welcome that opportunity. All right. Thank you so much. So I just want to thank both of you for being here today. And thank you for the wonderful conversation. We learned so many things. And, and now we see it's opened up the door for yet another conversation. So thank you all. Thank, thank you, you, Chris. Once again, I just want to thank Greg and Scott for joining us today. It's been such a great conversation on diversity, inclusion, and equity. And I think that we all were able to share lots of ideas. And I look forward to continuing that conversation.